what's going on everybody this is armand lee and you're listening to the quarterly report thank you so much for tuning in this week we got another fun show my cousin sadiq abdul is going to be returning to the program we're going to break down the nba finals as well as the gift that keeps on giving lavar ball also while everyone is talking about floyd mayweather and conor mcgregor i will preview the real fight that everyone should be anticipating this weekend between Andre Ward and Sergey Kovalev. All of that and so much more, but we're going to start things off with our first topic this week. First quarter. The NBA season is over, and it has gone basically according to plan. I think we all first saw Golden State winning the championship and doing it fairly easily, beating the Cleveland Cavaliers four games to one. But the thing that shocked me and will be the topic of this first quarter is the number of older teams who have decided, you know, without even being asked, just decided to to tell the world, not that their team would beat Golden State, but just how easily every team of past generations would dismantle the two-time NBA champion Golden State Warriors. And for that, I want to reintroduce, reintroduce an old friend that, you know, I haven't, I haven't brought around recently, and if you haven't guessed by now, his name is Angry Man, and he says this one thing. Man, sit your ass down. Man, sit your old ass down, Joe. Like, so this has been something that goes on, especially, I mean, in, in all sports, but it happens frequently in the NBA because we worship dynasties in the NBA. So anytime there's a great player, anytime there's a great coach, uh, a great team, we always fall over ourselves to compare them to older teams, players, coaches, etc. of past generations. A few weeks ago, I talked to my guy Ivan Carter about just how silly the idea of comparing players specifically of different generations as opposed to just appreciating the greatness of each individual era. But we do this also with teams. And it, the fact that, I mean... It started off, I believe, with the bad boy Pistons saying, you know, we'd be able to destroy the Golden State Warriors. And I get that, you know, but we also have to be honest with ourselves that this is not just the era, it's the style. The game of basketball is played so differently now. And what happens, I find, is that we romanticize these past, these bygone eras uh, so much because, you know, we, we view them with child's eyes. So if you grew up in the 80s, of course, you you hold near and dear to your heart those Celtics, Pistons, and Lakers squads, you know, because that's what you grew up watching. If you're, you know, a child of the 90s, Michael Jordan is the team. And it, this also, you know, there's a direct correlation between favorite players. You know, if you grew up in the 2000s, that's why all these Kobe fans just are like everywhere. And they're like in their early 20s, early to mid 20s, because they grew up watching him. And, you know, he was the not only was he, you know, one of the more popular athletes, he was also a, a fun player to watch in many aspects, you know. So we view the bad boy Pistons and those 80 Celtics and Lakers squads through these these lenses of of eyes that grew up watching the game, who fell in love with basketball in many instances with these teams. That's not to take away how great they are. But we also don't view them as whole, you know, full 
players, people, teams with flaws and strengths. We don't view them that way. But we view currently what we are watching absolutely through those lenses because I feel like we're just more cynical as a society overall. But we cover everything ad nauseum now. So if you aren't, I don't want to say principled, but if you don't have that in the back of your head to like that, it's it's like integrity. You know, integrity keeps his, behind, his foot in your behind. It forces you to walk the straight path. You know what I mean? If you don't have that wherewithal inside of you to be like, okay, I'm going to hold myself to this standard in terms of viewing uh, teams, players, any, any aspect of life, right? To be as consistent as possible, you'll fall into these traps in which teams that you just have a favorable opinion over and teams that you loved growing up, they will always be on this pedestal, not because necessarily they were that great, but just because you remember with such high favorability. You know what I mean? So what happens is, you know, the Lakers say they sweep the Warriors. And then, you know, Scottie Pippen said that they'll dominate the Warriors. They'll sweep them and they wouldn't score X amount of points and all this other stuff. And it's one thing to say, you know what, we'll beat the Warriors. But the fact that all these old teams, all these old teams would say they would just dismantle them and it would be no problem. Man, sit your ass down. You know what I mean? The Chicago Bulls, the Indiana Pacers, Austin Crozier, you understand? The Davis Twins. They took the Chicago Bulls, the second three-peat, to seven games. The seven games. Don't talk to me about they would sweep the Golden State Warriors. The Bulls didn't sweep anybody. In a conference championship, I believe. The Miami Heat, Tim Hardaway, and Alonzo Mourning, they at least won a game. You know, the Portland Trailblazers didn't get swept. You know, the Phoenix Sun, like, don't talk to me about how they'd sweep anybody because that's not what they did. They didn't sw- They didn't play great teams, number one. The great teams they did play, those Pistons and Celtics teams, they didn't beat. You know what I mean? So I don't want to hear about the Bulls sweeping them because they didn't sweep anybody. The Lakers... Oh, my goodness. Okay. The Lakers present, I feel, a realistic shot just because Kareem was just so unguardable. But what people, when we had, and I I feel, honestly, I feel a little silly dissecting these, you know, hypothetical battles of generations because it's just a silly idea. But it annoyed me so much just how flagrantly arrogant all these former athletes were. I... This is when I reached my limit. When the bat, the Detroit Pistons of like 2004, I think it was Rasheed Wallace, and I love Rasheed. Rasheed is my man. But when Rasheed Wallace is talking about how the 2004 Pistons would dominate, you know, the Golden State Warriors, oh, Rasheed, sit your ass down, bro. No, you wouldn't. Y'all lost to LeBron James in the pips like two years later. Get out of here. It's just such a lack of respect for these Warriors. Look. What we've done, and I'm not even upset at it, right? But one of the things that we've done with older teams, right? We we praise just how physical and how tough and, you know, how hard all these older teams of the 80s and 90s were. And it's deserving, right? The league was officiated so much different. That is fair to say. Um, you had to be so much more physical. They, they, they didn't call fouls the way they do now. It's... It's like that with all sports. You know what I mean? As we learn more and as players get bigger, stronger, faster, 
yes, you don't allow the same thing. I mean, that's just common sense. You don't allow the same things that happened 30, 40 years ago that, to do that you would allow now. You know what I mean? And that goes with throughout life. But what we do, we praise the physicality of these older teams. But what we don't do with our current rosters, with our current teams, is praise the skill. Like when you watch Golden State play, especially when they go to their quote-unquote death lineup, and that death lineup is Durant, a seven-footer at the five, Draymond Green at the four, Iguodala at the three, Clay Thompson, Steph Curry in your backcourt. That lineup features five players, all of whom can dribble, all of whom can run an offense, all of whom can pass, all of whom can shoot at to different levels of success. So don't talk to me about, you know, yeah, of course the Bad Boys Pistons were physical. Of course the Celtics and the Lakers of the 80s were physical. But Rick Mahorn can't guard the three-point line, and he damn sure can't run up and down the court like the Warriors would play. Neither could Luke Longley. Neither could Robert Parrish. You know what I mean? So let's we can we can do both things. We are human. We have the capacity to do a, a, a lot of different things at the same time. So we can praise the physical nature of the bad boys Pistons while still saying, but you know what? They can't do that. Not to mention the three-point line was shorter back in the day. So um, Steph Curry and Kevin Durant are like unguardable at 25, 26 feet. Imagine if it's three points at just 20 feet. I mean, that's barbecue chicken is still Shaquille O'Neal, a Shaquille O'Neal reference. You know what I mean? So I, I, I don't, I'm not even going to sit here and try to tell you that the Warriors would beat every other team. I personally feel that this year we saw the greatest basketball team of all time. And no, they didn't win 73 games. And no, they didn't go 4-4-4-4 in the postseason. But watch what happens next year. You know what I mean? If, if, if you want like accolades or something that you can hang your, your hat on, no, they didn't achieve any of those things this year. But this was year one. So I just caution everybody, if, you, if you're looking for that one featured piece, that marquee accolade to hang your hat on to be called, to be considered the greatest, no, they didn't do that this year. But watch what happens next year. And more so to the point, we don't even need to compare in terms of who would win in a game, in a hypothetical game, which is silly just in nature. But you can appreciate older teams and bygone errors without disrespecting what you're seeing now because we've never seen anything like what Golden State is doing. Just because we've never seen play. Think of all the completely unique players that we're watching on Golden State. We all can admit that there's not a greater shooter of all time ever than Steph Curry. We can admit that. And we've never seen a seven-foot player who can dribble, shoot, and defend like Kevin Durant. They play on the same team. <laughs> you understand? And this lack of respect, this happens all the time. How many times have you listened to like an older guy talking about, oh, man, y'all young bamas, y'all don't ever respect your elders. You don't respect your elders. Well, respect is a two-way street. Because, yes, there are sometimes younger people don't respect their elders. But I find equally as much, if not more, older generations have a hard time respecting the new wave, the new kids, the new thing that's coming up. Don't believe me? Look at how many things we all find a way to blame on millennials. Millennials are like the easiest punching bag. And half the people who blame things on millennials are millennials themselves. So, you know, 
because of this old curmudgeon you know, oh man, we destroyed the Golden State Warriors. The Golden State Warriors literally lost once in the postseason. The Golden State Warriors feature two of the greatest basketball players of all time and Steph Curry and Kevin Durant. No matter where you want to play, place them, they're in the top 100. They're probably in the top 50. So if you think that you're going to just sweep the Warriors, no matter who you are, you're going to embarrass the Warriors? Angry man, go ahead and holler at these old heads for me real quick. Man, sit your ass down. Sit your ass down. That was quarter number one, and I am Armand Lee. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Quarterly Report. Make sure you follow me on Twitter. I'm at Armand, A-R-M-O-N underscore Lee, L-E-E. And follow the show as well. We're at Quarterly, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E show. One quarter is down. We're going to stick on the hardwood with more with our second topic this week. Second quarter. Now, as many of you probably know, I'm a fan of LeBron James. Uh, I think he's one of the best basketball players of all time. Definitely one of the handful of best athletes I've ever seen in my life. Um, but despite being a fan of LeBron, I'm not a stan. You know, you got stands who will always come at the aid and make excuses for him. And this week, LeBron, after being eliminated in the NBA Finals, he said something that, honestly, this could also be part of the Angry Man segment. Because as soon as I heard LeBron James say he's never played on a super team, the first words that came out of my mind were, man, LeBron, sit your ass down. You know what I'm saying? But we're not going to tie this to the first quarter. I just want to get into the idea of, this quote-unquote super team, you know what I mean? And just how disingenuous and how full of it LeBron was to even say that, you know what I mean? Now, to be fair, I don't think this Cleveland Cavalier team is a quote-unquote super team for many reasons. Number one, and I guess the more obvious reason, is when you watch these NBA Finals or when you look at this, this Cavalier team over the last three years, when LeBron sits down, Leads vanish. <laughs> you know, you can't be a super team if you are completely dependent upon one player, right? Case in point, think of the Warriors this year and when Kevin Durant hurt his foot against the Wizards. And a lot of people thought that Durant was going to be out for the rest of the season. It wasn't that significant of an injury, but he did miss, you know, a considerable amount of time. Golden State only lost, what, twice? With Kevin Durant not playing. That's what a super team is. They're not so dependent upon just one player. Kevin Durant is the best player on the Warriors. Kevin Durant goes out with an injury for a prolonged period of time. And Golden State still wins. There's nobody. Nobody. Who feels that if LeBron James were to be hurt. For a significant amount of time. That Cleveland would be able to win. I think what over the over the three seasons LeBron has missed missed a lot of games, you know, we'll do the rest or whatever. I want to say Cleveland has won like less than a third of those games. I don't think Cleveland, even with Kyrie Irving, even with Kevin Love, they lose a significant amount of the games they play without LeBron. And again, we saw it in the finals when LeBron sits down, he can't even get a rest because leads evaporate in a blink of an eye. They can't be a super team, you know, Kevin Love has never made a playoffs without LeBron James. Kyrie has never been a 500 basketball player without LeBron James. So, yes, Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving are talented basketball players. I think we could argue on just how good or great you would want to consider them. 
But Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins, they're talented. If LeBron James went to Minnesota, they're not a super team. They'd be a super team because they got LeBron. If LeBron went to New York, and God bless, God hope he does, it'll never happen. But LeBron, Melo, and Kristaps, that's not a super team. Because Melo and Kristaps can't win. You can't be a super team when you're completely dependent upon one player. So I wanted to get that out the way. But LeBron OD when he said he had never been because Miami was absolutely a super team. Now, I think if we're being fair, if if LeBron is doing hindsight, you know, he can say, you know what, we weren't a super team because in practice, you know, in theory they were, and there's no doubt about it, but in practice, no one thought that Dwayne Wade would fall off a cliff in the second half of year two. You know, they only played together for four years. Dwayne Wade only had a year and a half of great basketball. You know, you'd look back on those last two finals appearances, people in Miami, all the statisticians, they were saying the Heat are better when Dwayne Wade doesn't play. Chris Bosh is in game seven of an NBA finals and he scored, what, three points? And, you know, and, and shout out to Chris Bosh, you know, hopefully health-wise he's okay. We're glad that, you know, unfortunately his career looks like it's going to be coming to an end, a, a premature end. So, you know, you respect his game. You respect the kind of the uh, eclectic guy he is. And you, you respect all the philanthropic, uh, um, you know, charities and all the moves that he's made. But when it comes to it, Chris Bosh as a basketball player was rather overrated. You know, in his seven years before coming to Miami, he only went to the playoffs in the Eastern Conference, mind you, twice. So it's not like Chris Bosh was, you know, this amazing franchise cornerstone basketball player because he wasn't. He was a good fit. He had a sacrifice to come to Miami when they played together. But you don't ask great players to sacrifice. You know, there's a reason why Kevin Love's game had a sacrifice coming to Cleveland because he wasn't that great. You're not going to ask Dwayne Wade to sacrifice. LeBron James isn't going to go to, you know, any team and sacrifice his game because he's that great. So no one, like, armed with hindsight, I understand, I guess, kind of why LeBron thinks he hadn't been on a super team. But make no mistake, when he signed to go to Miami, the reason he said not four, not five, not six, is because he thought he was going to join a super team. Now, it may not have worked out that way, but he absolutely signed up to join a super team. And it's completely disingenuous and completely full of BS for LeBron to say anything other than that. You know what I mean? Now, the whole super team thing, I think, unfairly gets thrown at LeBron's feet. Somehow, some way, we don't ever, we like forget about Boston. You know, think about how different the NBA would be had Kevin Dur- Kevin Garnett, excuse me, had KG not decided to waive his no trade clause and go to Boston, right? LeBron, I don't think, ever goes to Miami if he doesn't lose to Boston two times. And he doesn't lose to Boston two times if Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, and Ray Allen aren't playing together, you know? So if LeBron doesn't go to Miami, it's fair to assume that KD never goes to Golden State. So where would the NBA landscape be? Like, just think about that. If Kevin Garnett never waves his no-trade clause, Ray Allen doesn't get traded to Boston, right? 
Boston never wins a championship. They never eliminate LeBron. And who knows how the NBA history has would, would be different. Like, the entire landscape would be completely different had that one move not happened. But we never think about those Boston Celtic teams as, you know, a super team. And I don't know why. It, maybe it's because it didn't happen in free agency, even though technically Kevin Garnett deciding to go to Boston is almost completely a free agent move. You know what I mean? Because he had complete control over whether or not he got to go there. And he rejected it. People forget he was offered to get traded to Boston earlier. He rejected it. And only until he found out that Ray Allen was going to get traded to Boston too, he then decided to go. You know what I mean? So that's that's essentially a free agent move. Because remember, while LeBron made a free agent decision to go to Miami, history will have you remember that he got traded. The Miami Heat and Cleveland Cavaliers traded one another. LeBron got traded to Miami for a large trade exemption. So, of course, LeBron decided to go to Miami just as Kevin Garnett decided to go to Boston. It's all technicalities, but the idea of a super team always gets thrown at LeBron James' feet and never the Boston Celtics. But to end this segment on a complete honest note, LeBron, you got to sit your ass down on that one, bro. Of course, you've signed up to go to a, a super team. It may not have played out the way you wanted it to, and you may not be currently playing on a super team. But those four years in Miami were absolutely designed to be the super team of all super teams. Thank you for listening to the Quarterly Report. I am your host, Armand Lee. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. All you got to go, all you got to do, excuse me, is go to iTunes, search Quarterly, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E, report, see my icon, click on it, and subscribe. And while you're at it, please rate and review the show. Let me know what you think, what you like, what you don't like, what you want to see in the future. We're going to have a lot of fun in the summer months. We're going to try out a a lot of new things, so let me know your ideas and your wish list for the show. All right, the first half is in the books. Before we start the second half, you know and love it, it's halftime. And this week, I decided to take you all back to school. As I've said in the past, I'm a huge fan of analytics. I subscribe to it, but instead of boring you with a lecture on all the ins and outs and the numbers and stats. We're going to break it down, giving you what I like to call analytics for dummies. Time now for analytics for dummies. This week, we're going to be focusing on plus minus and on off splits. Here's a pro tip for you. Never ever use plus minus for an individual game to determine how well or poorly a player played. Plus minus stats are tricky. There are 10 players on the floor at all times. So any metric used focusing on just one player without factoring in the other nine will be tough. Doing it in a 48 minute sample size is impossible. So if you do choose to use plus minus as your metric of choice, make sure you use the largest sample size possible. Ideally, the entire NBA season. And if you do use or limit your sample, make sure it's pinpointed to a a significant change, i.e. an injury 
a coaching change or a trade because if not you'll just be accused of cherry picking and when you're using advanced stats that's the last thing you want to hang over your head so to revisit make sure you're using the largest sample size possible when using plus minus and never use one game to determine how well a player played because the game of basketball has such wild variations in each game that it's a fool's exercise to think that you can discern anything from just a 48 minute sample size. That was Analytics for Dummies. Once again, I love analytics. I swear by them when it comes to the NBA, but you know, they get a bad rap. So I'm gonna take it upon myself to give you guys some insight on some of the more popular wide known metrics out there because there's so many of them and they don't always work together. And a lot of them are a bunch of BS. So hopefully you guys can get a little bit of insight, get a little bit more comfortable with them because I feel like basketball talk overall gets so much more intelligent, so much better when we all have an idea of some of these other metrics and we don't just rely on points per game and the eyeball test. But that's enough about halftime. That's enough about analytics and we're done with the break. We're getting back into action. Two more quarters to go, starting with my interview this week with my cousin and super basketball fan, Sadiq Abdul. I've gotten more positive feedback from this interview than I've gotten from anybody else, and it doesn't hurt that he's also my blood. Welcoming, once again, my cousin, sports analyst, and overall just really fun, smart sports mind, Sadiq Abdul. Sadiq, what's going on, bro? Hey, I'm on. What's up, cousin? How you doing, man? So we're going to get right into it, start with the biggest topic uh, this week, and obviously that's the NBA Finals. Um, now, it's funny because before Golden State had even won the series, and you know how we do, yeah. <laughs> we started asking just how if, if this Warriors team was the greatest basketball team of all time. Over-exaggerate um, everything. That may be a little bit too early to to anoint them that because this is the first year of this team as presently constructed winning. But I'm not going to talk about like the dynasty aspect of it, but just from a season, right? A season, one roster, one year. Where do you rank this Golden State Warriors team when it comes to the greatest single season teams of all time? All right, in the in the sense of. A mini dynasty, they are there. Right. They're there in the mini dynasty. Because think about it, even in the early 2000s, when the New England Patriots had won three Super Bowls out of four years, people were calling them a dynasty. So this, you know, two two championships out of three years for Golden State, I would say is a mini dynasty in this new free agent type of era. It's right. Not, you know, it's hard to keep a team totally together. And then in that one year when they didn't win it, they actually had the greatest record of all time regular season and then lost in the game seven in the championship. So – they were one or two possessions away from actually maybe winning three in a row if KD would have still came this year. You know, if they would have won, I doubt he would have did that if they won. But they are many dynasty. But in the sense of saying one of the greatest teams of all time, I'm on the fence of that because the rules change. A lot of things, you know, factor into that. Because, like, all right, even, even recently, my guy Rasheed Wise, I love this guy. He's been talking about how, how that Detroit team could beat this team they actually match up really well with this Golden State team. So I think they would have actually challenged them and probably beat this Golden State team because they're a little more physical. They were big in, like, every position, and they were so intelligent they would have slowed the game down because, 
I mean, if you think about it, like the Lakers, they beat the Lakers 4-1, right, if I'm not mistaken. It was 4-1. Right. And that Lakers team has four Hall of Famers on it. You know, even though Gary Payton and Carl Malone were in the back end of their career, it's still 4-1 against Hall of Famers. So that, right. that Detroit team was the absolute truth. And, of course, we go to we go right to, you know, Michael Jordan's, uh, all of his Bulls teams and all that. The 96 team was the one that broke the record, the 72-10. and 10. Right. That Jordan team would have killed this Golden State team. See, I got to stop you there. I disagree. Uh, she's my man. I love she too. But And they're, those Piston teams are one of the more underrated teams of all time. But when you look at just how the makeup of that Piston team was – I, I don't see them stopping Golden State. Like, number one, in my opinion, in my opinion, Ben Wallace was the most important player on that Piston team. I don't know if you have to send him down, but he's not an important player against Golden State because he, he would be rendered useless. So you would almost not want, even want to play Ben Wallace against these Warriors. Why not? Because you would be playing Ben Wallace would be essentially defending Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant will be like Golden State's five in their death lineup, right? Ben Wallace can't run around the three-point line trying to stick, you know, KD. And KD wouldn't even have to defend Ben Wallace offensive or defensively because Ben Wallace is not a threat to score. Okay, so, and they better hit, and, and that's the thing. They better make every last jumper. And if, honestly, they also had a Hall of Fame coach, too. You know, these, these guys have Steve Kerr who's coming along. He probably, honestly, is going to be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, he'll be on the later. Yeah, yeah, he'll be there. But – you know, as a coach, you know, not as a player, but as a whole, you know, they do everything as a whole, you know, so Steve Kerr will be sooner or later be there. But Detroit was so intelligent, they'll find a way. Ben Wallace will say, and honestly, if they wanted to go small, then she can play the five. But she can't guard KD. He don't so have to guard KD. He can, guard, he, can guard, he can guard Draymond. And I don't care what nobody say, Draymond fits this team perfectly, but Draymond is trash. <laughs> hey, you wildin' now. Nobody will say it, you know, I would say it on the record and all that. Draymond is trash. You know, no, no. People give him a pass, but like he's some, some type of big four and all this type of stuff. The guy can't really finish like that unless it's, unless he has, like, a, a, a total opening. He can't really finish on people. His shot is so-so. His shot is actually, you know, he's got to be on to make it. Like, he's not a maker. He's a he's a he got to be hot to make it. You know what I mean? Honestly, you could play off of him if you really had to. I, I, I'll, I'll grant you this. I'm with you in terms of Draymond is not an amazing scorer, right? I think his offense, I mean, we already know how great he is defensively. And offensively, he's a really good basketball player, too. Not because he can, he's a threat to drop 30 or 40, but because, and Jeff Van Gundy did a really good job during the finals of pointing this out, Draymond is such an amazing passer. He's probably the Warriors' best passer on their entire team. And when you have a five, and oftentimes, who can bring the, floor, bring the ball up the floor, push the pace, and is a threat, at the three-point line to thread the needle. And, you know, he may not be a great shooter, but you have to respect it. Draymond is so deadly. He's like a Swiss Army knife. He could do so many things very well. His type of versatility is something that we've never seen before in, in this capacity. The one thing that Detroit did so well was defend. And they actually could switch on a lot of times. Like, a lot of times, that Detroit team switched. You know what I mean? So, therefore, when you're coming around picks, you're coming around the little pin downs are coming up. That Detroit team can actually switch. Chauncey, Chauncey and Rip alone can switch on any guard. Let me hit my Clay Davis real quick. I can't say it. I don't know about all that. One person that really should never switch would have to be Tayshaun. He has to stick to KD. Yeah. Like he has to stick on him because he can actually he, – he can't stop KD because nobody – KD is a score that we really kind of rarely ever seen. 
Because some of those threes he hit on LeBron when they were making Cleveland making runs and KD standing still, like a standstill pull-up three from the top of the key, that, that's not an easy shot by any stretch of the imagination. And with the way that Detroit team, you know, speaking of them, even Chicago, all these other teams that we're talking about, Draymond would have to be my score if I'm playing defense. I don't care if yeah, Ben Wallace, he had to lean back and all that. Draymond's going to have to make all those shots. It's some of the because Because when Detroit comes back down the court, Detroit's not taking quick shots or stupid shots. They made sure they got the best shot available all the time. It was never – like, think about it. Rip took those 15-footers or 17-footers, you know, the mid-range shots that were basically layups for, for a professional. You know, a professional that, that shoots that all the time, those are layups for Rip. That's why he didn't have to drive to the rim all the time. That's also why his, his career extended because he had good legs. Same thing with Ray Allen. Like, if you're a girl, great jump shooter, you can last in the league for a long time. I'm saying that. They don't, they don't have to take bad shots. They can take 15-footers. Rasheed is going to kill. Like, so, therefore, even if you take, even if you take Ben Wallace off the score, if, you, if you, that's what you're saying, Rasheed is going to kill them in the post. But, see, that's what I'm saying. This is where Golden State's new math comes in. You're talking about Rip taking 15-footers and Chauncey posting up, whereas now you're, you're, you're changing two for threes because – You'd have Steph, Clay, KD, Draymond potentially. All these guys who can shoot threes. Iguodala. All these guys on the floor potentially can knock down three-pointers. So you can take the two and they'll get the extra point from the three-pointer. Not to mention the free throw shooting, right? Not just the three-pointers. You've got Steph and Clay. We know how great of free throw shooters Chauncey and Rip were. But Steph and Clay are even better. Right. I don't know. No, we'll, why. Have to, we'll have to. Honestly, we'll have to pull that up. And look on there because I might challenge you with the free throw. Slim. Steph Curry is like one of the five greatest free throw shooters of all time. Yes, he's in the 90s. And I think, honestly, and if he's in the 90s, Rip is 89.99. <laughs> Rip did not miss free throw. All those sad. Rip and Thompson did not miss free throws. And Rashid, to be a big man, he probably was like 82. Okay, but what about Tayshawn? What about Tayshawn? No, Tayshawn wasn't bad. Tayshawn might have been like 78. Okay, okay. KD ain't 78. KD ain't 78 from the free throw line. KD damn near in the 90s. Yeah, you're right. Okay, KD's amazing, man. <laughs> KD's amazing. I ain't gonna lie. That boy can shoot, man. Once again, I'm joined by... Uh, huge sports fan, one of the best sports minds that I know, and he just also happens to be my cousin, Sadiq Abdul. Uh, we just wrapped about the NBA Finals and where Golden State as a whole stands, but we ended on KD, and this is a beautiful segue, what we like to say in the industry, uh, talking specifically about the two best players in the NBA Finals, Kevin Durant, Finals MVP, and of course, LeBron James. Uh, KD won his first, LeBron lost his fifth, um, so how do you think these finals, specifically when it comes to these two players, impacted their legacy? I want to reference back to your uh, episode 11 on this podcast where you were talking about uh, people that were hurt by LeBron's decision and things of that nature. I was one of those people. <laughs> hey, but you get credit. Shout out to you for yes, admitting I'll, it. Yes, I'll admit it. I, I was totally wrong with, you know, with, with uh, the way he kind of came back from that and everything, but he broke my heart. Because I was one of his biggest fans. Like, I remember when I was in college, I was watching. I was coming back, finishing school, and making sure I get back to watch his high school. Matter of fact, I think for one of your birthdays way back, I gave you a LeBron jersey. You did. You, did. you gave me a jersey, <laughs> and I still have that. I love you to death. Thank you for that. I still, ha I still have it. I will never wear it again, but I still have it. I'm not going to be one of those people that burn it and all that. I still have right. it. You know, I had his first shoes that I actually sprained my ankle in a lot of times because they were low cut, but I still wore them. But anyway. When you have, you know, you have the top guys and all that that are, that are fighting. Actually, my thing I like about LeBron is no 
no 18-year-old came in with the scrutiny or, or the microscope that he came in with. Kobe came in, 13th pick. He didn't really have the, you know, he had other four other all-stars on the Lakers team, so he didn't right. have to do as much. KD, I mean, KG came in at a time where high schools didn't really come in, so people weren't expecting too much from him. LeBron came in, oh, my goodness, they expected him to win the championship his very first year. And that's right. where he almost dropped a triple-double his rookie year in Sacramento. And I was pulling for the guy because just because he's a young, you know, young black male, everybody's saying, oh, he can't do this, he's not going to do this. And then he put the chosen one on his back as a tap. I'm like, okay, I'm going to rock with him. I, I'm going to see what he's about and all that. But when he left, because times got hard, at least, you know, he couldn't get over the hump or something like that, and he actually decided to leave because other guys, but as a fan and, and, and me watching him, that broke my heart. I'm like, oh, I can't rock with this type of guy. He's not the type of the man that I even want to hang out with. You know right. what I mean? That's how I looked at because you got to realize, I came up in the Jordan era where Jordan had the flu and still dropped 37 points. In a crucial game five on the road, you know, the 2-2 two, two, two series, game five is a swing game. Everybody knows, you know, most of the time, I don't know what statistics are, but whoever wins that game five in the 2-2 in two, two series is, is basically going to win the series. Right. So Jordan, Jordan did all that off the flu and all that. So basically he fought all expectations. He stayed with the same team his whole career, you know, until he came to the Wizards, you know, that whole situation. But anyway, so basically, you know, you're seeing that. And the legacy of LeBron, you see that, it's like, Oh my God, he you know he's running from his stuff and all that. But honestly, to watch LeBron now, the man that he's grown into and all that, I would give the brothers all his props and everything. He's actually fought against a lot, you know, because all the hate that he was getting in Miami and all that, to fight against that, to finally win championships. And even this year, honestly, to watch what he was doing this year, if he would have got a smidgen of help, if he'd have got this Jr. that they lost, uh, the Jr. Right, Game Five, Jr. If he'd he got Jr. Game Five in three other the games, not even he don't need Game Five that Jr. in all five. But if he'd have got that Jr. In, in three other games, LeBron was averaging a triple double. I mean, this is in the finals. Like this is the best of the competition, the most of pressure. He averaged a triple double. Right. I, I would I would equate this to averaging a triple double in the finals against the best team, and then basically the best team that we're talking about. Blah blah blah. For him to average a triple double is equal to a Wessel Westbrook did. It's not hard. You know, this is this is hard. This is the top competition and all that. And LeBron basically. If he had a little bit of help, they would have won this series. All right, so that's how you stand on LeBron and his legacy. I think we both agree. It's clearly solidified. Where do you where do you stand with KD? Does this championship, in your eyes, have an asterisk, or is he now one of the greats who can be considered all-time greats because he has a ring? That's a great question, bro. I'm going to say no, it doesn't, because at the end of the day, he still had to get it. Even if he, he wasn't going too. against – Yeah, exactly. Even if he wasn't going against other teams, he was going against himself and the media, because sometimes you can put too much pressure on yourself and you can fail because right. you're feeling like you have to. So I ain't gonna, I'm not even going to say. And the thing is, also with, with, with uh, KD, he did it. Same thing we talking about LeBron. He did it against LeBron. So yeah. he did it against the best guy in the league. The now, I'm saying, now, if he had if he had did it against maybe, let's say let's say Boston somehow made it to the uh, final. Right. Or, you know, and they, he did it. He had to do it against Jay Crowder or somebody. Not to knock Jay Crowder. He's a good player and all, but he's not all-star caliber or anything like that. So if he yeah. had did it against Jay Crowder, you could be like, oh, man, he did it against But the shots that KD made and the way KD did it, actually, I'm going to tell you like this, if KD's not on that Golden State team, Cleveland wins this series. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, I because KD, KD made every huge play. Because let's be real, game three. Game three was Cleveland's game. KD scored seven. Not everybody's going to remember that three, that pull-up three in fast, you know, in a transition, which was a great shot. I mean, he shot that with the utmost confidence over LeBron. That's what I'm saying. But that, it's before that shot. He got some free throws. He got a, a drive-in dunk. You know, he, he scored seven straight. And it was just amazing to watch. So, honestly, KD, KD legacy, he earned this finals. Like, you know, 
he might they might have swept through the West. See, that's the thing. It might have got it was easy all the way up until this point, but he still yeah. had to get it done against the greatest. So, I mean, you can't you you can't put an asterisk on a championship is a championship. I mean, if some people try to say like back in the day, you know, when um when Dave Robinson got his first. I've heard people say that oh that was an asterisk because that was a short strike shortened season against the Knicks, yeah. you know. But right. hey, you can everybody's playing on the same platform. If it's you know, yep. if you're playing football if you're playing football and it's a rainy day, you can't be like, Oh, well, we were fumbling the ball and you and the other team wasn't. No, well, we all played in the rain unless you know, unless you the pass where they, you know, release the A out the balls and all that. We're we not gonna get into that. But you know what you know what I mean? Once again I'm joined by promoter, sports aficionado and my cousin Sadiq Abdul. Going to get it, get you out of here with this last question. Um, Father's Day is coming up on Sunday. I'm a father. You're a father as well. And, you know, obviously family means the most to us. But there's another father who stays in the news. Of course, y'all know who I'm talking about, LeVar Ball. Uh, they just dropped the Foot Locker commercial that I thought was really smart, really funny. I'm curious, though, what is your opinion on LeVar Ball? Obviously, controversy follows him. He's super polarizing. People either love him or hate him. Um, I'm curious your opinion on LeVar Ball. If I could adopt a father, not to knock my father first off, I'm going to tell you, I love him. Shout my... out to Uncle Benjamin. Shout out to Uncle Benjamin. Yes, sir. Hey, hey, check, check him out on the House of Cards, Chapter eight, uh, 58, some people. But anyway, <laughs> you know, if I could adopt a father, it would be LeVar Ball. I, I, I feel, personally feel like he's awesome. Like, the stuff that he does with his son, the way he advocates for him, he's the support that he gives them, you know, he might rub a lot of the people the wrong way, but he's actually a great parent. Right. You know, I mean, I just came from the, a couple of things that my daughter was doing, things like So I'm there for you trying to support as a parent. And honestly, that's what he is doing. I, I really I really enjoy LeVar Ball. And then plus, I mean, he's good for TV. When he comes on, there's a reason why everybody's trying to put him on their show and then come in there because – He's entertaining. You know, if he was a great behind-the-scenes, quiet father, then that doesn't sell anything or that doesn't give you something to talk about. Or, you know, people want people kind of want negativity or somebody that they can go back and forth with because it sells. So I, I enjoy the volleyball. I, I, I enjoy everything he's doing. And really, his sons, oh, man, yeah, Alonzo actually has gained. So so if you really listen to some of the things LeVar said, it's, it sounds far-fetched. But me personally, I think he could be Michael Jordan one on one just at fifty something. These guys are only because they're fifty something. You know, he's a bigger he's a bigger fifty something than Jordan. He's like what, six nine, six ten, you know, he's a little heavier. So if they're gonna be two old guys one on one, he probably will beat Jordan. Same thing and same thing with Lonzo. Lonzo does actually have a chance if, you know, barring any injury and God forbid and the way that they father pushed them and everything, he could be better than Steph. You know, people, I know it sounds far-fetched and it sounds like asinine right now, but let's be real. He's going to be the second. I mean, just right now at 18 and 19, Steph had to do, what, three years of Davidson? Right. Because he was a little, you know, he was a little smaller. He had to get known. He wasn't, he, first off, he went to Davidson. So let's compare <laughs> UCLA. Let's compare UCLA and Davidson. Okay, you're going to take UCLA. Let's compare 6'6 six, six and 6'3. Six, Steph is what, 6'3? Okay, who are you taking? You're taking a 6'6 six, six guy, right? Right. They both They both have range. At, at you know at this time of their age you know you know Lonzo has an ugly shot but it goes in you know that, right. that Philip Philip Rivers throw you know Philip Rivers still got drafted pretty early everybody knew he had an ugly release at the quarterback but you still right. take him because he's a winner you know Lonzo makes everybody better and all this comes from what his father his father's been pushing him his whole life 
You know, so yeah. he doesn't, like you say, he doesn't feel he doesn't feel pressure because his father's been putting pressure on him whole. He's not scared of nobody else. He's not scared of competition. Not scared of what the media is going to say. Honestly, the Lakers take him at number two. If he if he can find a way, he and Russell to 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 be able to to play together, you know, because they're bickering right now as young men. But if they can mature, that would be a, that would be a great backcourt. So yeah, his father he comes off wrong and he's a jerk. But at the same time, we don't know even the stories of like uh, what's the guy, Bill Curry. We don't know the stories of Dale Curry behind. He has two sons in the NBA. You yeah. know, one one that won two what two championships now, two MVPs, and then the other son's up and coming. A lot of people don't talk about uh, Seth like that, but Seth really can play. You know, he had a good year down there. He just need the right opportunity in the right minute. But right. Dale, his mannerism, I heard, you know, a nice guy and all that. But let's be real. You have two sons in the NBA. I promise you that he pushed his, his sons the same way that LeVar is pushing his sons. The only thing, only thing about LeVar, he's only loud right now because, you know what, honestly, LeVar probably has a great mind for business. Absolutely. Yeah, that's what it is. To get your business going, you have to brand yourself. And even if it's a wrong type of brand, it, it, it is what it is. For me, as a young man coming up, when I was playing as a child and all that, I envy what he's doing with Lonzo. Like I said, I love my father, not knocking him in any way and everything. We went through a little hard time as my teenagers, and I wish that he pushed me to my teenage years the way that that uh the VOD pushing pushing right. Lonzo. Because, you know, who who knows what could have happened in the teenage years. Sky's the limit, anything. And these are the main years where a young man's becoming you know, becoming into a man. So so basically right now he's molding uh Lonzo and Lonzo won't even need him maybe in another three, four years. He'll be he'll touch he'll be strong enough as a man to probably step up to his father and be like, Look, I don't need you as much, you know, I need you to back down a little bit, you know, chill out and stuff like that. But right now Everything he's doing is actually brilliant. We're talking. Matter of fact, we're talking about it. We're talking about him right now. So speaking on, you know, Lonzo. That was our last thing. Uh, you know, Lonzo and, and Levar Ball. Basically, I just want to give a few shout outs since it's Father's Day to a lot. You know, a lot of the fathers that I know that are doing basically their Lonzo type of, uh, you know, and Levar thing on their children. First of all, I want to give you a lot of love. But when I seen, you know, a lot of people don't know it yet. They're going to know your name and they're going to know who you are. You are an awesome father. And she is so intelligent. Like, the way she speaks and everything, she is a beautiful mind. I appreciate that. A, a small shout-out also to uh, my man, Anthony Adams. He is awesome with his children. I want to give a shout-out to my cousin, Eric, my cousin, Chris, you know, Skio. Hey, hey, check him out when you, when you can online, Skio underscore 365. That's his IG. Check him out. Same thing with Eric, E underscore, D-A underscore shooter, E the shooter. Check them out. They're doing good things in the, in the community as people and everything. So everybody that's out there is being good fathers, man. Keep it up. If you're going to be uh, LeVar, nothing's wrong with it at all. If you got your children's back, keep doing what you're doing. Don't let nobody stop you. No, no media stop you. Anybody out here, just keep being good parents. That's what we need out here, actually. That's perfect. I couldn't say it better to myself. Um, and also, you know, Sadiq, shout out to you. You're an amazing father. You know, like you said earlier, you're just coming back from a recital. It's like 11 o'clock almost at night. You still got time to do the interview with me. So, you know, I appreciate it. I love you. And like you said, man, fatherhood comes first. So, man, thank you. And uh, shout out to all the fathers as we approach Father's Day. Fatherhood comes first. Everything will fall into place afterwards. Have a good one, bro. All right. So that's three quarters down. We started the show off with the biggest sports story at the beginning of the week. The Warriors beating the Cleveland Cavaliers to win their second NBA championship. We're going to end the show with the story that has everyone talking at the end of the week with our last topic. Quarter. A few weeks ago, I told you guys I just couldn't believe that this 
Conor McGregor Floyd Mayweather fight was actually going to happen. And now the story broke Wednesday evening um, that these two absolutely will fight. Uh, I want to say August 22nd. Um, I'm not sure, but sometime late August. And I can't believe it's happening. I can't believe that there is a, a desire to see this fight. Again, I'm not discrediting Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor is an amazing fighter. He's an amazing mixed martial artist. But it's a completely different discipline than boxing, right? And you're not just fighting a guy. You're fighting one of the best boxers ever, the best boxer of his generation. And it's not like Floyd is 50. You know, he's a year and a half, what, almost two years removed now from his final fight. It's not as if Floyd is out of shape. This isn't the great white hype, you know what I mean, with James the Roper or James the Reaper uh, is basically throwing the fight. You, you just can't, you can't imagine, you can't understate the discipline, how much training, how much at this point muscle memory goes into boxing and mental, mentally speaking. You know what I mean? Again, this is not a shot at Conor McGregor, but it's just, and there's so many people who are interested in this fight, which has, and I get it, Floyd is not really a likable athlete. So much of this isn't so much that people think that Conor McGregor can do this. Conor has his own fans, and a lot of MMA fans I found to be completely ignorant to boxing. And, and the reverse can be true absolutely as well. Um, but I think we all would agree Floyd would have no shot in an octagon. But there's a large number of people who somehow think that Conor McGregor has a not only a shot, but will win this fight. And it just makes no sense. Again, I don't think Floyd has knockout power, but no ref is going to allow anybody just to get punched in the face over and over again without them actually causing a threat. And that's what's going to happen. Like Conor isn't going to be able to touch Floyd. Floyd is going to beat this guy, hit him so many times, so fast in the face, in the body, that if if McGregor doesn't get DQ'd because of, again, a lot of this stuff is just muscle memory. So when you're getting beat up and your whole life you've been trained to throw elbows and to grapple and to put a hold on someone, once you get punched in the face, Mike Tyson has one of the greatest quotes of all time, and I'm sure you know, everybody has a plan until you get punched in the face. Well, Conor McGregor's going to get punched in the face over and over and over again. And if he doesn't get disqualified, I don't see how a ref would let this fight continue. I think it's going to be a stoppage in the sixth round, a TKO. But boxing, as you all know, if you listen to me, you know how much I love it. And while this kind of speaks to not really boxing as a whole, but how the mainstream media thinks of boxing. Because as Floyd Mayweather and Conor McGregor dominate the sports landscape, Thursday, Friday, Wednesday evening. We are approaching a great fight this Saturday. And boxing fans know about it because boxing fans have been talking about it for months because we watched the first fight. Of course, I'm talking about Andre Ward, Sergey Kovalev, two of, in my opinion, the best three fighters in the world. Without a doubt, two of the best five fighters in the world. It's a rematch after a great fight uh, last fall, and they're doing it again. And... This kind of speaks to just the frustration as a boxing fan that I have. And if you're listening to me and you're a fan as well, you have as well. Because the circus 
of the sport is always kind of people always make a big deal about how much of a of a circus and how much of a joke the sport of boxing has become but the press is feeding into it with the with juxtaposed to this fight on Saturday that is a real fight you know real compelling two of the best at their sport at their craft and Everybody's going crazy over this circus of a fight between McGregor and Floyd, which in my opinion, is not even, I don't, it's going to be a boxing match because it's going to be boxing rules. But the fact that McGregor even has a license to fight Floyd Mayweather, the fact that this fight is even sanctioned is beyond comprehension in my eyes. But again, you see how it's being covered. You know, we have a legit fight coming on Saturday between two of the best in the business. And boxing fans are actually clamoring about the Ward-Kovalev fight. But all everyone else is talking about is Conor McGregor and Floyd Mayweather. Of course, the McGregor-Mayweather fight is going to sell. I don't necessarily think it's going to do Pacquiao numbers, but it may. It absolutely may do Floyd-Pacquiao fights because I don't think boxing fans are entirely interested in this fight because I think boxing fans have a great idea of what's going to happen, but it's the casual fan. Um, you know, the casual boxing fan, if you will, like if you, if the only fighters, you know, are Floyd Pacquiao and Canelo, well then, yeah, you're going to, you don't really fall into the diehard boxing fan. You're, you're more of a casual fan. And then MMA fighters or MMA fans are going to watch it because they love McGregor and they actually feel that McGregor has a shot. All of this to say is we got to be smart, man. We just got to like life is about choices. You know, don't get mad at McDonald's for selling you for selling supersized fries and large Cokes because you ultimately make the choice to go there. You know, there are options. We live in a we live in a day and age where there are literally tens of options for every single imaginable thing that you can desire. So much will be made after the fight in August about because I we all know what's going to happen. Or at least we should. And many people, many pundits will jump out there and talk about where the sport of boxing is and how the fight wasn't really exciting and how it was disappointing on so many levels. People did the same thing two years ago with the Pacquiao fight when you should have known better. But you have a choice. I'm not going to tell you what to do with your time and your money. But as someone who loves the sport of boxing, if you have a desire to see a good fight, try not try to be just thoughtful with your money. Because if you spend a lot of money, which they will charge in August, to see this circus of a fight, you will be disappointed. But there are so many other great options to watch if you clearly and truly desire a good fight. Now, I'm not saying you should watch Kovalev Ward because they're going to charge money for that. It's a pay-per-view fight. It's not, I don't necessarily think it's going to be a, 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 a huge showdown with fireworks the way, you know, some of these past fights have been. But it's going to be much more compelling, much more of a better fight, a better product than the Floyd McGregor fight. So, to each his own. If you want to choose McDonald's or Burger King over, you know, a filet mignon or a salmon, do you, bro. But 
understand I will be here in August to say I told you so. All right, guys, that's it for this week's episode of the Quarterly Report. Thank you so much for listening. A bit of house cleaning. I'm going to be on vacation for the next week and a half to two weeks, so we will not have a quarterly report, at least for next week's show. Maybe in two weeks, I will let you know. For all the updates, make sure you follow me on Twitter. I'm at Armon, A-R-M-O-N underscore Lee, L-E-E, and follow the show at Quarterly, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E show. There, you will have details on when the show will be coming out the next show. But again, there will not be another episode, at least for one week, maybe two, but follow me for all the details. All right, guys, you all have a great time. Have a great summer. Enjoy whatever it is you're going to get into the next two weeks. I'm going to be on the beach and by a pool. I'll holler at you. See you next time on The Quality Report.